Welcome and thank you for joining us for the Church by the Glades podcast. If you would like more information about Church by the Glades, including service times and directions, visit cbglades.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. Oh, what is up, Church by the Glades, 1 p.m. edition. And welcome to what we call Spooktacular Weekend. I'm Pastor Dave. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, I forgot my Bible per- production. Can y'all, can y'all fly out my Bible, please? I need my Bible. Oh, okay. Thank you. Give it up for Cousin Nett one more time. Cousin Nett, thank you. Thank you, Cousin Got to have a little fun. It's that time of year. Hey, so if you're a guest, you're probably confused. You're probably confused. Uh, we have a little fun this time of year. We kind of embrace the, uh, the fun and the costumes and the spooky of the season. We've had a great chance to reach families. So we do extra nighttime services. So we go to four at this campus. And last night, oh my goodness, room was packed out with parents and their kids in costume. Hey, yeah, give it up. It was amazing. Thousands. And you have not preached until you preach to a room full of kids hyped up on candy. It's like preaching to puppies on crack cocaine all night long. So we shortened the service. I shortened the sermon. I actually preached an eight-minute-long message, one big idea. You'll get a little more than the eight minutes today, but thank you for being part of this. We're just having fun. So if you're a guest, it's unusual. More normal next week. Come back next week as well. But, of course, the theme this year is an homage to the Adams Family. And anybody old enough remember the Adams Family on TV or reruns? Anybody? Anybody? Come on. My Boomers, Gen Xers, yes, actually it goes back to 1964 on television, black and white originally, but actually what predates that was, it was a comic in New Yorker magazine, and the original artist was a guy named Charles Adams, so he's actually spoofing his own family, and of course there's been a number of Hollywood adaptations, animated, big blockbusters, sequels, and kind of went away until Netflix, about a year and a half ago, Netflix launched Wednesday where they focused on the daughter in the Adams Family. And it was the biggest Netflix show the entire year. It was a huge mass, a lot, a lot of fun. So we thought, what a great way to talk about family as we think about the Adams Family. So why their longevity? Why so fascinating since the 60s? I will tell you this. Yes, they're creepy and they're kooky, but they're wonderful. They actually do family really well. They're a wonderful, weird family. So they're wonderful and they're weird. They're weird and they're wonderful. Just like your family. Just like your family. Come on. Just like my family. Yeah, in fact, if your family is wonderful, has any degree of wonderful, and I say three, make noise. Ready? One, two, three. Put it in the chat. My family's wonderful. Yeah, I love my family. Other people I call family. On the other hand, if your family's at least a little bit weird, a little bit weird, you make some noise. Ready? Go. Go. Big. Well, wow, you're the first service to cheer more loudly for the weird than the wonderful, just saying. So I think every family is a bit of both. There's no perfect families. Every family, even a healthy family, has a degree of dysfunction. There's all kinds of families demonstrated and described in the Bible, and they're all wonderful and a bit weird. So as I'm here, the pastor now for quite a while, quite a while, 25 years, um, 
uh, my family, my family actually kind of grew up in this church. And uh, I have, if you don't know me, my name is David, been married for 25 years to lovely Lisa Hughes, married way over my head, guys. Obviously a mercy date on her part that got way out of hand. So it's been two and a half decades with Lisa. And then God has blessed us with three amazing kids. My oldest is Charlie, y'all know him. My punk preacher, he's 23, he's on staff here at the church. And then you might know Victoria. Victoria is awesome. She lives in Nashville right now. Makes me sad, she's that far away. She's a great young lady. And then my youngest, and your parents have a little God surprise. We had a God surprise. And he's 14 in eighth grade, and that's Zane Michael. And uh, they're, they're all immersed in the church. And I will just say this. Uh, they're good kids. God's blessed us with really good kids that make good choices. They love the Lord. They love the house. And so that, that's my family. That's my family. But my family is wonderful and weird. In fact, when I said weird, Zane was in the front row. He pointed right at me. Maybe I'm the weird. And so if your family's a little weird or a lot weird, guess what? You're welcome here. In fact, somebody's got to have the most dysfunctional family of the entire weekend. Guess what? This is your church. That's okay. You come in just the way you are. You limp through these doors. I don't mind. Look, one o'clock. Some of y'all drug in here hungover from last night. I don't care. You're in church. God bless you for being here. But if your family's that weird family, if you're like, David, we're, we're so messy in my family. We tried to adopt a dog. And when the people from the rescue place came to do our in-home visit, we failed. We were an unfit family for a homeless dog. We're that unfit. Guess what? It's okay. If you're single, like David, I'm single. I'm not even like part of a family. You're part of a family of one. And you're going to find here in the church other sensational singles and married people who love to pour into you and to encourage you because you need it, man. It's hard to navigate dating, right? You need outside perspective, especially if you fall for people quickly. Some of you singles by that second date, right? And when you're in love, it is awesome and beautiful. But when you're in love, you are as dumb as a bag of hammers. <laughs> and so you're two dates into it. We know your MO. You're like two dates into it. You're like, oh man, she's the one. She's the one. She's the one. You're like, I'm thinking, what one is that? The one you're going to love, the one you're going to marry, the one that's going to make you sad. One's going to break your heart. One is going to steal your car again, burn it. Which one? It's tough out there. Give it up for our singles right now. Singles in the house. So if you got it all together, if your family like has it all together, God bless you for both you. The rest of us, we have some mess. And here it is. It's Church by the Glaze. If your family is messy, if you're messy, no perfect families allowed. Amen. No need to pretend. Come in just the way you are. We'll love you the way you are. God loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. So if you want to dial up your relationship IQ, you're in the right place. Now, we'll say this. If you allow me uh, the prerogative to take off my pastor hat for a moment, put on my, my dad parent hat, I can tell you, parents, the help the church has been in raising my kids so Zane's in eighth grade, you know, and so far so good with Zane. He's, he's a great kid. But my two young adult kids, they navigated those tough, tempting teenage years when kids can make so many toxic decisions. And they, they may have had a few issues here and there, but they were small. The big decisions they made really well. And I'm really proud of the way they've turned out. But I'll tell you this, it wasn't like brilliant parenting. It was the spiritual synergy of raising our kids immersed in the church. 
It was our incredible kids ministry that you're going to see tonight. Oh my gosh. They are on spiritual steroids. They are so creative. This, this event they provide for children and families, it is next level, but they're great every single weekend. And then when they hit the teens, the wave ministry, which happens right here in this room, middle school and high school, now at least on this campus, at least sometimes in this room, sometimes across the breezeway. And what Pastor Nick and his team does, so important. And the things, if you've got a teenager, they will say to your kids are the things you want people saying to your kids. And by the way, you hit a point when your kids, I don't know, like in ninth grade, parents, you're very uncool. These leaders are cool and they're young and they'll be your allies in parenting. And it used to be once you aged out of that, you just were part of the church. But now we have a unique specialized ministry to young adults called Rally happens right here on this campus once a month. And uh, on Friday night, I met 800 young adults who were in this room worshiping and there was a, a message and after party and free food. And it's one of the coolest things going for young. And by the way, it's not a bunch of young adults that have no options on a Friday night. They're a sharp group and they're here. So I love the way our church pours into Gen Z and Gen X. It's our millennials, it's powerful, it's incredible. So I just say this as a dad, this house, God's house will help you build your house. And if I can belabor the point a little longer, I don't want to make anybody feel guilty. The trap that good parents fall into, because you know, you're like, yeah, I'll keep my kids involved in church is super good. I should do that. But we're so busy. This is the generation of busy. And the trap that good parents fall into, you get so busy chasing all these other things for your kids. Like, oh my gosh, tutoring for her, or this one likes cello lessons, right? And you're good parents, you try to make this stuff happen. Or sports and travel sports. And, and we navigate travel sports with Zane. He loves basketball. But church for us and the wave is a non-negotiable. And it ain't because he's the preacher's boy. We're a Christian family. We protect and prioritize church. And my warning to good parents, you start chasing all these things at the expense of having your kid in the youth group. And maybe she develops a great crossover, right? Gets a division one scholarship. But will she have the values and the confidence to navigate the pressures that young people face on a college campus? And if your dream is, hey, he's really good, he's going to the league. Probably not, just saying, probably not. I hate to, hate to you know, don't get, look at me that way. I'm just saying mathematically speaking, I saw a study done by the NCAA just this week that of uh, young men who wanna play NFL football. That's the most you know, professional athletes in the major sports. NFL football had the biggest rosters. Uh, the chances they play in college, gosh, is minuscule, but the number of kids in high school who play high school football who make it to the NFL at all is 0.00075%. And the average NFL career is three years. For kids who wanna make it to the NBA, it's even less. In fact, this same study said about seven kids who get drafted to the NFL ever become superstars and starters. And their average career is four years. So all our kids are fighting over seven jobs for four years. And I hope they make it. I hope they're the next LeBron. But guess what? That spiritual foundation is critical. So bring them up in the church. I'm just telling you as a dad, I'm so grateful for the ministries. This house will help your house. And guess what? You can come to one o'clock and your kids can sleep in on Sunday morning. So it's all good. It's a brilliant service to choose, by the way, or Sunday night. It, let me, again, hat off, off my soapbox. 
Uh, how about this? Let's go to the Adams family. There's a parable today. I actually think they're a wonderful family. I will give you some examples, but quickly, if you allow me, I want to answer the question, why? Why? If you're new or been around for a while, most churches don't do anything about Halloween. We do. We kind of wrap our arms around it. We embrace it. Other churches don't. I'm not criticizing other churches at all. Some churches ignore it. Some churches have alternatives like a harvest festival or a fall festival. We just do spooktacular and kind of embrace Halloween. Three happy people. Guess what? If, you're, if you need convincing... Uh, I, I will say this, there's nothing we do during the year we get more criticism for. People go online and hate all over this. Don't check it out, by the way. Don't, don't fuel their fire. So why do we do this? Is it just to draw a big crowd? Well, it does draw a big crowd. It's now our third biggest weekend. We filled this house with families, with kids whose parents are looking for a safe thing for them to do this time of year. So that is a great outreach. But that's not the reason we do it. If you ever go to Best Next Steps next door, I hope you will. It takes 25 minutes. Woo, it's, Kaylee, it is a great thing your team does. It gives you an orientation to our church. We don't keep you very long. We kind of share who we are and especially how to connect you with ministries that will bless you and your family. How can we take care of you? How can we encourage you? So it's really worth the time. But on the wall, you'll see our values, our mixologies, our strategies, things we believe in that make us uniquely who we are. And one is this, it says our theology drives our methodology. Our theology drives our method. We let doctrine or the Bible guide us, shepherd us to what we do strategically as a church. So the spooktacular is actually driven by theology. Stay with me. It's not just David doing this crazy random thing to draw people to church. And if they don't like it too bad, if people want to criticize, who cares? It's really not that. It's driven by the word of God. So uh, you go to, uh, go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Just make sure you're with me. Let's say it text together, 2 Timothy chapter. You find that, if you will, in your Bible. Turn on your Bible, open up your Bible. But I'd take you on a little journey. Here's a verse very important to me. It's the Apostle Paul describing why and how he did ministry. In 1 Corinthians 9, 22, this is a verse that God, God just bit me in my heart one day with this verse. Paul says, to the weak I become weak. I become all things, look carefully, to all men or all people. That is not Paul saying, I'm a sellout. I'll just, I'll pretend to be this. He's saying, no, I want to be relevant. I want to be relatable. To weak people, I'll share my, my weaknesses. To people who are accomplished, I'll, I mean, I want to find ways to meet people where they are. So I, by, I love this fact. He says, I become all things to all men. But here's the part that's so important. So that by all possible one more time. So by all possible means. I might save some. So he's writing to the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was in a metropolitan area, much like South Florida. It was actually a seaport city, much like Port Everglades or Port of Miami. Had all these people kind of coming and going. And it was a hard place to reach people for Jesus. So Paul said, guess what? Here is all possible means. I'll do whatever it takes short of sin. That's our church. People ask, hey, a church by the glades. Uh, I heard that's a white church. No. I heard it's a black church. No. Hispanic church. No. Oh, I hear a lot of young people. Well, yeah, we got young people, middle-aged people, old people, all that, rich people, poor people. Here's what we are. We're an all possible means kind of church. <laughs> hear, hear this, hear this. If the Bible is true and what we do is fun and joyful and glad, but it truly is life or death, 
Heaven or hell are the stakes. The church cannot afford the luxury of playing it safe. So we push it. I am aggressive. I'll put 10 toes over the edge and the ledge of trying to reach one more person. Yes, we'll do some things other churches might not feel comfortable doing. We'll do some things religious people might criticize us for. But if I make 99 Christians mad, and that's never my goal, and win one person for Jesus, that's what the good shepherd does. We leave the 99 for the one. So have we ever taken it too far? Probably, probably. If I get to heaven and Jesus said, maybe that one time was too much. Guess what? I'll own that, I'll own that. But if anybody that you love in your family, your friends comes to Christ because what we do, it's worth it. All possible means. So how about using something like Halloween? Halloween's kind of a weird, spooky. Some people think it's dark, it's bad. Psalm 24, verse one on the screen right now. It says, the earth is the Lord's and. Everything. How much? Everything. Why limit God? God, you just get these little special Sunday morning sacred things and everything else doesn't belong to God. God says, no, no, it's all mine. I can use it all. So, so here's the approach we have. When it comes to cultural things, like the way our culture views Halloween, and by the way, in Halloween right now, the origins are dubious. Hundreds of years, actually more like a thousand years ago in Northern Europe, the origins of Halloween goes back to the ancient Druids, Druids and it was a pagan celebration, and it was kind of weird and dark. A thousand years ago is how it began. That's not where it is today in our culture, in my opinion. In my, our culture today, I don't think many people like celebrating Satan's birthday or something. It's just three things. Candy, yeah. costumes, and spooky. Yeah. We can use those. I am asking you to add common sense to your Christianity. They're not mutually exclusive ideas. And take a step back and say the origins were kind of weird, but right now it's what it means to our culture. We can leverage that. We can embrace that. We can, so here, here's what comes to culture for me. A church can have the attitude we retreat from culture and reject the culture, or we can redeem the culture and repurpose the culture. In John 17, when Jesus says, I'm gonna leave them in the world, they're not of the world, but leave them in, I think it's for things like this. So again, if, if you choose to retreat, I respect that. I'm aggressive. I wanna go after things. So, so uh, if you're like, oh, Halloween is bad because the origins of a million years ago were terrible, we should stay away. I would say, okay, question, when do you celebrate Jesus' birthday? What day of the year? Not a trick question, y'all. <laughs> I would say, why? And you might say, well, that's the day he was born. I would tell you, well, not to hurt your feelings, but no. There's no credible Christian story that thinks Jesus was actually born on December 25th. Don't look at me like that. I'm just sharing the historical facts. Right, uh, based on the part of the story where the shepherds are tending their flocks at night, that happened in the springtime. So Jesus is more likely born in April than December 25th. So why is with the December 25th, the day we celebrate his birthday, where you go back to the early years of the Christian faith, the Roman Empire, early on Christians were what? A minority and we were persecuted, we were arrested, we were hounded, they confiscated our property, they threw us to the lions, but eventually you can't stop the calls of Jesus Christ. And the church started taking turf. It actually became a dominant force in the Roman Empire, right? And so we became the recognized faith of the empire. And we had this holiday that preexisted the Christians. And it was a, a day they celebrated the sun god, not S-O-N, but S-U-N. And they worshiped a pagan deity. Guess what day it was? December 25th. But when the Christians got control, they, they didn't say, get rid of that thing. It's terrible. It was a day people did what? They gave gifts to each other and they celebrate a feast with their families and their loved ones. They thought, let's not just reject that, let's, let's redeem that. 
Let's repurpose. We don't know what day that Jesus, let's make that the day we honor Jesus' birth. And so Christmas, December 25th, comes out of Christians back in the day, not running from culture, but repurposing something. Let's do the same thing with Halloween. And look, I grew up in a church, good church, biblical church down in Hollywood, and we had not just spectacular, we had a haunted house. And it was gory and it was scary. And it was awesome. And people came to it. And then one year, the church leaders pumped the brakes and said, no, Halloween's terrible. We're done. And we started to have a harvest festival or a fall festival. Now, if you're watching online from like Iowa, y'all harvest things there. But in Broward County, do you have any farmers in the room? I have no farmers in the room, right? One of the things that people harvest in Broward County is some weed they grow behind the house and you shouldn't do that. A fall festival, for us in the South Florida, fall is not, oh, the falling leaves and wear flannel. Fall just means it's two degrees less hot than the summer. And so as a young person, I was confused. Why, why, man, that was so fun, but now we can't, now it's terrible. So look, look, I do expect us to co-mingle common sense with our faith. And if people disagree, God bless them, that's fine. I don't wanna argue, whatever, that's, that's great. I'm trying to reach people. I think it's fine to redeem things like this. That's the reason why. That's the reason why. I'm the only pastor in America preaching about the Adams family today, and that's fine. They're my parable. Jesus used parables. And if you disagree, you can email me, but I won't read it. But hear this, this is driven by theology, not just practicality though it works. So Adam's family, they're, they're a wonderful, weird family. A couple things I think about when I think about the Adam's family. Number one, I think about Gomez and Morticia. Now they're parents, very much their parents, they're engaged parents, but they're a couple. They, they're husband and wife. You know what I love about them? Their romance. If you've seen the movies and stuff, oh, they have such passion. They are so romantic. Their PDA makes me slightly uncomfortable. They're romantic. It reminds me as a married person of 25 years, never let the flame of romance die in that relationship. Keep that flame burning. Do what it takes. Before we had those kids, we had each other. Don't lose that. So how do you do that? Brothers, here's just one small thing quickly. Date your wife. Wait, that was really late. And everyone clapping, it's a woman, by the way. <laughs> and there's a guy looking at me like, David, date, shh, what do you mean date my wife? What do you mean date my wife? Man, I did all that dating stuff to make her my wife. I dated her to get her to say yes to me. And she said yes to me. She inked the deal, I dated her back then. You're right, you dated her back then and it worked. She inked the deal. Now my brother, service the accounts. Continue to date. The older I get, sometimes our dates now are lunch dates, but that's fine. Uh, how about this, bring your middle schoolers to the wave on Wednesday, make Wednesday night your date night. You got babysitting then, right? Date your spouse, keep the romance alive. It is critical if you wanna go the distance. How about this, I think about the siblings. I love the Adams family, Pugsley and Wednesday. And there's many things I can say about them, but one thing is, they're so different. Their personalities are so different. You know, Pugsley is trusting and laid back, but Wednesday, Oh, she's brilliant and she's beautiful and has this delightfully dark disposition. And uh, any parents here, you're the parent of one child, make some noise. One child, one child, one child. Yeah, that's cute and stuff. You got one kid, that's cute, that's, that's cute. How about two, three or four, make some noise. Two, three or four. Yeah. You're gonna understand this point. Just out of curiosity, anybody with more than four? 
Five. Five. Wow. Well, we had a seven last night. We had like a set, seven kids, one family. They had to be Amish. I don't know what they were doing. The seven, that's... <laughs> but if you have more than one, if you have just two, the crazy thing is you have these two kids, you love the same. And they're raised in the same home, same nurture, same DNA. And they're so different. Have these different personalities, different gifts, different aptitudes, so very different. I mean, I mean, Zane is one way and Charlie's another. And then Victoria, by the way, girls, oh, I love my daughter, but girl, y'all are complicated, right? Just layers and emotions. And she's awesome. She's, she's so smart. She's always three steps ahead of me. They're so different. So you can't raise them the same way. Stay consistent. Stay consistent. But the Bible gives us great parental strategies on how you raise both your Jacob and your Esau. God made them different. Dr. Bob Barnes said, if God gave you your first child is a Pugsley, if he's a pleaser, guaranteed your second child's gonna be a barbarian. <laughs> so you need that wisdom God's word gives you as well. By the way, just one quick thought about kids too. Uh, if you raise them right by the time they're 18, 19, 20, whatever, finish with college, you've instilled in them confidence, right? Security, a value system based on God's word. And if you raise them right, those kids, someday they leave. Someday they leave. Someday, someday, amen. That's my goal, to release them someday. Someday the spouse, she stays. The kids, they leave. Give me an amen, parents. I'm not being harsh. I mean, if things go sideways, they can come back, right? When they have kids of their own, when they have kids, they can come back and visit and then leave again, leave again. That's... This the Bible says, this man, a reason a man will leave his father and mother, leave his father and mother, right? We leave. How about this uh, extended family? There's extended family in the Adams family, cousin It, Uncle Fester, right? Lovable Lurch, all these. What do we learn in the Bible about extended family? Uh, we learn things like this. We learn love, kindness, tolerance, patience, Boundaries, someone give it up for boundaries. Boundaries, they're not bad, they're beautiful, they're biblical. And I have great in-laws and stuff, extended family. By the way, who has extended family in Florida? Make noise if you have extended family close by. Now here's the crazy thing, who does not have extended family in Florida? Make noise. Okay, first service, that wasn't the much, much larger group. Uh, in our services, people without extended family, like your, your aunts and uncles and your grandparents live far away or in a different country. That's why the church is so critical. It becomes your extended spiritual family. They step into that void. You need that generational wisdom. You need that support. You need those young gods loving your kids. I'm just telling you, build your house on the church. All right, so I'm almost out of time. So with all this family being so wonderful and so weird, you might have the question, David, how in the world do I not say frustrated navigating all these people? I mean, I mean they're, they're wonderful, but they're weird. How do I not stay angry or annoyed? In fact, David, sometimes they put me in a mood. That kid of mine, man, she slap wears me out. She puts me in a mood. That husband of mine doesn't listen at all. Oh my, God. he puts me in a mood. All right, here's the verse. 2 Timothy Chapter one, verse seven on the screen right now. It says, but God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. One more time, of self-control. Now, we say things like that. You triggered me. 
Uh, you made me angry. You made me frustrated. You put me in a mood. God has given you self-control. In fact, because I'm not preaching to the kids, I'm gonna show you one bonus verse right here. Galatians 5, 22. When you give yourself by faith to Jesus, many benefits become yours, heaven and forgiveness and acceptance, but also you receive the fruit of the spirit. Now it's fledgling when it begins, must be developed, but these are qualities that God places inside you supernaturally. So if you give yourself to faith by Christ in just a few minutes, this becomes yours. It says in the Bible, the fruit of the spirit is love. Look at this list, love, joy, peace, patience, great list, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and So why am I complaining that she put me in a mood if God gave me the quality of self-control, not other control? Don't surrender your, your control. Don't, don't lose your control. In fact, to give you an analogy, it's kind of stupid, but if you're family, you relate to this. Everybody knows what this little piece of technology is. One of the most important pieces of technology in the house it's the remote control to the other technologies in my house. Is there anything more frustrating in life when you can't find where this is? Right? If someone else puts it in the wrong place or they're not careful with it, and where do you find it? Like in the couch cushions or under, under a seat and you look high and low and those are four or five of those frustrating moments of my week. It happens multiple times and the worst offender is me. I'll get busy and I'll take it to the, another room. I'll take it to the kitchen while I make breakfast. Why take it from the family room to the kitchen? I lose my remote control. I've surrendered my remote. Why do that with your emotions? So I'm like, you frustrate me. You put me in a dark place. Self-control. Self-control. So I got one big idea. Here it is. Your mood is your job. That's good right there. Your mood is your job. Look, you clapping like you don't believe me. If God gave you self-control, yeah, but she triggers me. He pushes my buttons. She puts me in a mood. She puts you in a mood. She puts you in a mood. Look at your language. It's the language of a victim. It's a language, a passive language. It's surrendering language. You put me, she put me in a dark, she put, what are you, a lobster? <laughs> I mean, seriously, like a lobster a fisherman catches and puts in his boat, then puts in his Yeti, then goes home and puts in the freezer, then he puts you in a pot boils you, then puts you on a plate and serves you the side of butter. You're not a lobster. You're a child of God. And God says, I've given you these gifts, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness. But don't miss out self-control. Where did you put your self-control? How'd you lose your self-control? Your mood is your job. Your mood is your job. In fact, I want everyone to take out their cell phone right now. Take out your cell phone right now because you post all kinds of stupid stuff all the time. I don't care about your latte or your lunch. This is something worth it. And we're going to change this. We're going to tweak the pronouns right now. People are weird about pronouns. Here's a good pronoun. Let's personalize this. My mood is my job. Say that loudly. My mood is my job. I want all the men and the boys, when I say three, to say that loudly. Men and boys, here we go. One, two, three. My mood is my job. That was kind of pathetic, guys. One more time. My mood is my job. Now watch this. Girls and ladies, I want you to say this loudly. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. And you won't be home 90 seconds until the devil tests that, does he? Right, he'll come at you. 
he'll do that thing, she'll say that thing, right? And you wanna be triggered? No. You're gonna be cold, I'm gonna stay calm because I have self-control. My mood is my job. Oh, you're being annoying right now, but I'm gonna ignore that because God gave me the spiritual gift, the fruit of self-control. My mood is my job. Lisa's been in a bad mood in my office all morning long, guess what? I shouldn't tell you that, but my mood is my job. <laughs> Don't give someone else the remote control to your emotions. Take your power back. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for just a couple of simple Bible verses that are so profound in their impact. We are not emotional victims. And if we've handed off the remote control to our emotions and feelings and thoughts and perspectives of someone else, that's a sin. That's a mistake on our part. In Jesus' name, we take back our power. We take ownership of our emotions and our disposition. My mood is my job. Thank you for giving me that power in Jesus' name as the church says together loudly. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today. To hear more messages like this, make sure you subscribe and share with your friends. Don't forget to stay connected with us by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at CBGlades at Pastor D. Hughes.